Our readings from Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 to 14. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure or greedy person such a man is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness and truth. And find out What pleases the Lord? Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them, for it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, for it is light that makes everything visible. This is why it is said, Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Thanks be to God for his word. Ephesians 5. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. You were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. The IMD website offers the following summary of the plot of the film. As the name implies, Spotlight refers to the investigative journalism team who report for the Boston Globe newspaper. They are thorough, relentless, and will stop at nothing to expose headline stories that affect the everyday lives of normal Americans. When the new editor, Marty Barron, drops a potentially explosive story in the lap of Spotlight chief Walter Robinson about allegations of sexual abuse involving the Catholic Church... Robinson and his loyal crew go about uncovering one of the greatest criminal cover-ups in human history. The deeper their investigation goes, the more sadistic and shocking the outcome becomes. Fingers are pointed, people are accused, the list of clergy involved becomes larger and larger, and the whole situation ceases to become a Boston problem and grows to a worldwide exposure. It's a profoundly disturbing film, not least because it's a true story. And as part of the credits, the film ends with a series of four screens filled with the names of cities around the world where major abuse scandals involving the church have been uncovered. Hundreds of places. Rather than listening to me preach on this passage from Ephesians 5, there's no doubt in my mind that you'd do far better to go home and watch this film about light exposing the darkness. 
Another reason why it's such a disturbing film is that you read Ephesians 5 and it's evident that Paul says those who belong to Christ are children of light, whose lives should be characterised by goodness, righteousness and truth. As those who are light in the Lord, Christians are told that we must have nothing to do with the unfruitful works of darkness, particularly any kind of impurity or sexual immorality. Instead, our calling is to expose them and hold them up to the light because the light banishes the darkness. When the light of Christ shines, sin has nowhere to hide because the light makes everything visible. Whatever we see, we see as a result of waves of light reflecting off the surface of the object that we look at, which enter the eye and make it visible. There's thus a sense in which whatever is revealed, whatever is visible becomes light, because without light we wouldn't see it at all. The light of Christ shines. Once we were darkness... But now we are light in the Lord, Paul says, and that light is fundamentally incompatible with darkness and the deeds of darkness. The tragedy of the church's response to the widespread abuse that was going on was that the church covered it up and in so doing became an instrument of darkness rather than of light. By covering up the abuse that was going on, the church became complicit in the abuse and as such fundamentally denied the gospel. And this week in this country, an independent review has found that senior figures in the Church of England colluded with a former bishop who abused young men, Peter Ball, jailed for 32 months in October 2015 after admitting sex offences against 18 teenagers and young men between the 1970s and the 1980s. Dame Maury Gibbs' review found that Lord Carey, of all people, received seven letters from families and individuals following the arrest and cautioning of Ball in 1992 for gross indecency, but he failed to pass six of them to the police. He said, I believed him to be basically innocent. I believe Peter Ball's protestations and gave too little credence to the vulnerable young men and boys behind these allegations. It's where sin and forgiveness and our response to the unthinkable evil of abuse all become blurred in the church's life. To our discredit because we're called to be people of light and the light is incompatible with the darkness. Where does forgiveness fit in with this? Does it have any place at all? Well, before a sin can be forgiven, it needs to be acknowledged, needs to be brought out into the open, needs to be confessed. Forgiveness is not about sweeping sin under the carpet as if nothing had ever happened. The first letter of John is quite explicit, actually, in saying that if we confess our sins... God is faithful and just and forgives our sins and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. But that confession is not an iteration of the week's misdeeds to a priest who then pronounces absolution within the privacy of a confessional. Confession is about being open and honest and upfront and acknowledging one's own responsibility 
for what has happened. And where laws have been broken, there is a penalty for that. Sometimes confession needs to be made to the appropriate authorities. So Peter Ball is out of prison now, having served his due sentence. Rolf Harris is out of prison now, having served his sentence. They've paid their debt to society. Does that mean they are forgiven? The two are very different things. The church is supposed to provide a context where sin can be dealt with in grace and forgiveness. There are two extremes when it comes to dealing with sin. One is to take the path of denial or self-justification. There is no acceptance of responsibility for what we've done. And because it's not acknowledged and brought out into the light, it's very easy for sinful behaviour to continue to flourish unchecked under the cover of darkness. That is wrong. The other extreme alternative is for people to respond to the perpetrator with condemnation, vilification and rejection. The sinner is forever a marked man because of what they've done and people hold that against them forever. And that also is wrong. Between these two extremes is where the church should find its place. In terms of being a community where what is done is brought out into the open into the light where people find the courage to admit their wrongdoing because the church is a safe place it's a place where people's skeletons in the covers can be brought out into the open where they can face up to what they've done and the damage they have caused and where even the worst of us can find love and acceptance instead of condemnation and rejection. Church is a place where we can come out of the darkness and find others who will stand alongside us as we do so and change so that we can begin to lead lives marked by goodness, righteousness and truth. But that change from darkness to light needs to happen. Otherwise the church is dealing with what Dietrich Bonhoeffer called cheap grace. And let me quote from him at length because he says it far better than I ever could. Cheap grace is the deadly enemy of our church. Cheap grace means grace sold on the market like cheap Jack's wares. The sacraments, forgiveness of sin, the consolations of religion are thrown away at cut prices. Grace is represented as the church's inexhaustible treasury from which she showers blessings with generous hands without asking questions or fixing limits. Grace without price. Grace without cost. The essence of grace, we suppose, is that the account has been paid in advance and because it's been paid, everything can be had for nothing. Since the cost was infinite, the possibilities of using and spending it are infinite. What would grace be if it were not cheap? In such a church, the world finds a cheap covering for its sins. No contrition is required, still less any real desire to be delivered from sin. Cheap grace means the justification of sin without the justification of the sinner. Grace alone does everything, they say, and so everything can remain as it was before. 
Cheap grace is the grace we bestow on ourselves. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Baptism without church discipline. Communion without confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. Grace without the cross. Grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. Costly grace is the treasure hidden in the field. For the sake of it, a man will gladly go and sell all that he has. It is the pearl of great price to buy which the merchant will sell all his goods to attain. It is the kingly rule of Christ. For whose sake a man will pluck out the eye which causes him to stumble. It is the call of Jesus Christ, at which the disciple leaves his nets and follows him. Costly grace is the gospel which must be sought again and again and again. The gift which must be asked for, the door at which a man must knock. Such grace is costly because it calls us to follow and it's grace because it calls us to follow Jesus Christ. It's costly because it costs a man his life and it's grace because it gives a man the only true life. It's costly because it condemns sin and grace because it justifies the sinner. Above all, it's costly because it cost God the life of his son. You were bought with a price. And what has cost God cannot be cheap for us. Above all, it's grace because God didn't reckon his son too dear a price to pay for our life, but delivered him up for us. Costly grace is the incarnation of God. And grace is costly because we're called to be imitators of God. As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, we are called to walk in love and by implication to lay down our lives for one another and to forgive as God in Christ has forgiven us. Henry Ward Beecher said, We are most like beasts when we kill. We are most like men when we judge. We are most like God when we forgive. Forgiveness is very easy to talk or even write about, but we need the power of the Holy Spirit to actually forgive. For the Christian, forgiveness is not optional, it's mandatory. As Corrie ten Boom said, forgiveness is not an emotion, it's an act of your will. The call to be imitators of God means that, in effect, if people want to find out what God is like, they should be able to see for themselves by looking at us. Because it should be our aim to be like God. And so we are called to be light. We are called to embody grace. We are called to be holy. We are called to be different. People should look at us and see sacrificial love in action. It's a love which means that we are there for each other even when it costs It's a love that means we are there for each other even when we we get it wrong. 
It's a love that means that we are prepared to trust each other and forgive each other even when we betray that trust. It means that we will seek to be patient and kind, not envying or boasting or being proud. We will not be rude or self-seeking or easily angered. We will keep no record of wrongs. We won't indulge in those sneaky feelings of satisfaction when someone else gets it wrong, and we don't. We will value honesty. We will always be there to protect each other. We will always be prepared to trust each other and think the best of each other and be there for each other. It is far too easy to be glib and superficial about words like love, forgiveness, grace, repentance. And if we make them superficial, we do so at our peril because sin is serious. It damages and destroys lives. It's costly. Genuine repentance needs to be costly. The turning away from that requires a wholehearted commitment to light rather than darkness. And genuine forgiveness is costly as well because the cost and the damage that sin causes. So we know we ought to practice things like love and forgiveness and repentance, but sometimes we take the easy option of watering them down to a level where we merely pay lip service to the demands they place upon us. But we are called to be a community of reconciliation. And that means genuine, costly repentance that results in changed lives and attitudes. And genuine, costly forgiveness that brings people out of darkness into light. In the chapel, there is a book called The Celtic Daily Prayer, and I dip into it from time to time. Past week or so, a lot of readings have been relevant. This is one from June the 22nd. It's taken from Jared P. Pingleton's book, The Role and Function of Forgiveness. Jesus' prayer was, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. A prayer born in death, writhing with pain. A prayer risking faith, facing the sorrow. A prayer living in hope, seeing the future. My prayer was, God, how can I forgive them? They do know what they did. A prayer saying, it still hurts. A prayer wanting vengeance. A prayer seeking direction. My prayer became, God, help me forgive them. They know what they did. A prayer saying they were wrong. A prayer wanting reconciliation. A prayer seeking courage. 
my prayer became, God, forgive them. They know what they did. A prayer that wrestled with injustice. A prayer that acknowledges weakness. A prayer that found hope in God's love. And my prayer remains, God, forgive them. They know what they did. Because forgiving recreates life from death. Because forgiving cleanses the healing wound. Because forgiving builds the bridge of freedom. Spend a few moments in quiet. You were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So live as children of light, for the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness and truth. It's light that makes everything visible. That's why it's said, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you.